It is Lawyer Talk legal breakdown time. Steve Palmer here with Lawyer Talk. And those who have been following the breakdown series know that what we're doing is taking uh, legal concepts, legal issues, things in the public eye uh, that uh, seem to be misinterpreted, a little complicated, and we're making them simple. Why? Because my philosophy has always been this. I try to make everything simple and most everything can be made simple. That's what we're doing today with the new vaccine mandate coming out of OSHA. That's Occupational Safety and Health Administration governed by the feds sitting under the executive that is President Joe Biden. The vaccine mandate was challenged by all sorts of people and they were eventually consolidated. The biggest decision or the first decision rather is coming out of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in federal court. And just as a quick uh, breakdown primer, uh, federal court works this way. We have the lowest of the federal courts would be the district courts. Then the next level up, if you lose in district court, typically you go to the circuit courts. That would be a court of appeal. Uh, And then if you lose there, you ask or go to the U.S. Supreme Court. So it starts with district court, goes to the Fifth Circuit in this case, and then goes up to the Supreme Court. Now, you would uh, first question in this situation how and why this thing ended up in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals rather than a local district court. Well, here's the deal. Um, Per statutory authority, the litigants had the right to go directly to the Court of Appeals, that is, directly to the Fifth Circuit. And we don't need to go into the details there, but uh, keeping it simple, they did not have to go to the district court where they typically would have had to try to get some relief first and then appeal to the Fifth Circuit. Instead, by statute and jurisdictional mandate, they could go directly to the Fifth Circuit, and that's exactly what they did. Now, uh, procedurally, it wasn't all that unusual beyond that. The first thing they did, the litigants, that is, they asked for a stay. They went into court and filed a a lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the mandate and said, we need this to be paused. We can't have this in effect while we're waiting on the court to decide it. They asked for a temporary stay. That means they filed it. uh, That is, the lawyers for the litigants filed the action and the court issued an order temporarily postponing or staying the application of the new mandate. And uh, they did that in all likelihood without the other side, in this case it would be OSHA lawyers, actually being there. So it was only temporary. That's right, temporary. Now what does that mean? Well, when, when we when the news first hit that there was a stay, that the Fifth Circuit actually stayed the application of the OSHA mandate, uh, those on one side of the equation were uh, were jumping up in applause and saying, yay, we won. They, they, they struck down the mandate. Well, that's not what happened. All they did was temporarily stay it. On the other side, those proponents of such a uh, draconian federal mandate, no bias there, uh, thought they lost everything. But that's not the case yet. All the court did is say, look, we're going to keep a status quo. We're not going to change anything. We're going to keep basically everything the same. That is no mandate until we figure it out. Because the cause of action, the reason that they're in court in the first place is to decide, have the court decide if what OSHA is trying to do is actually lawful. And that means it's constitutional and doesn't meet the statutory guidelines for their emergency action. So when somebody says, or when people are applauding these uh, early, quote, victories, end quote, uh, they may not be victories after all. There may just be a temporary pause in the application of the guideline. All right. After they get the stay, and they did get the stay here, the court scheduled a hearing, asked the parties, the lawyers to submit briefs. What's a brief? It's a written legal argument. There's nothing fancy about a brief. Lawyers talk about briefs, and I remember not knowing what a brief meant, but all it is is like a report, a document, a written uh, argument that uh, outlines why you think your legal position is correct. 
And in this case, the court was asking the lawyers to brief or argue why a preliminary injunction either should or should not issue. So it started with a stay that was temporary, probably ex parte, meaning uh, the government may not have even been there. And next is going to be a hearing on a preliminary injunction. What in what pray tell is a preliminary injunction? Well, that is a more permanent stay. That is the parties, the litigants here asking the court to uh, to postpone and stay application of the OSHA regulation until the whole thing is decided. So there's two ways this could go. You could have the OSHA mandate, the vaccine mandate, uh, being uh, advanced and enforced while all the constitutional and legal issues are getting sorted out in the courts. That could take months, maybe even years, ultimately, if it goes up to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Or situation number two, the, uh, the court says, no, we're not going to issue a preliminary injunction. We're not going to postpone application of the OSHA mandate while we decide it. It's just going to keep on moving forward. And uh, eventually, if it's struck down or if it's unconstitutional or doesn't meet the law, well, then it stops. Or alternatively, if, uh, if it is determined ultimately to be uh, lawful, then it just keeps going the way it's going. So this is another time when folks uh, maybe prematurely cheer victory. So if you're on one side of it and you got the stay, you're thinking you won, everything is over. And uh, on the other side, you might think, you might think, well, they got the stay, everything is lost and it's over. It's probably more accurate that the side that gets the injunction, gets the preliminary injunction, uh, has something to celebrate. And the reason is, is that part of that standard, part of what the court looks at is the chances of likelihood on likelihood of success on the merits. In other words, what are your chances of winning? So let's break that down. Here's how this goes. In order for a court to issue a preliminary injunction, that is a postponement of the application in this situation would have been the OSHA vaccine mandate, but we've seen it in other recent decisions also. This is a pretty basic standard of review. This is longstanding law. It's these these factors are considered in every request like this, every request to stay or postpone uh, application of something while the court is figuring out what to do with it. Ultimately, here are the factors, and and, and I'm going to summarize these by the way for uh, for simplicity. The first factor is how strong is your case? What is the likelihood of success? ultimately in the case. In other words, are you going to win? Now, this isn't a full assessment of, uh, of what's going to happen at the end, but it's a, it's a quick overview. In other words, if you have no chance of winning, the likelihood of getting a stay or an injunction, or rather a preliminary injunction, well, that's not going to be very likely. Um, the second factor, is there going to be irreparable harm if the court doesn't postpone this? In other words, is this action is the proposed in this situation OSHA mandate going to cause you harm that can't be undone the harm uh, typically is economic but it doesn't have to be economic here for instance there's probably both economic and non-economic harm or maybe they're related so closely it's tough to unwind but what's going to be the impact on employers if they have to start preparing to uh, impose this vaccine mandate What's going to be the impact on their business? What's going to be the economic harm uh, and cost that they incur, as well as the loss of uh, employees? And then maybe related, but not quite so economic, what's the morale of the business? What's going to happen when one employee uh, gets the vaccine and another doesn't? Uh, what is the impact on, uh, on HIPAA violations? Like if one employee has to give up medical information to justify not getting the vaccine, uh, you can just see how this would cause all sorts of morale and infighting within a business. Uh, the third factor is, 
will the issuance of the stay or the injunction substantially injure the other parties interested in the proceeding? In other words, here, what's going to happen to OSHA if they if the court issued an injunction or a preliminary injunction on the case? And then the final factor is, what is the public interest and where does that lie? Okay, so those are the standards. Let's take a couple seconds and at least look at what the uh, OSHA mandate requires. It requires, generally speaking, all companies, all businesses, private that is, uh, with 100 or more employees to impose a vaccine mandate or a rather strict regimen of masking and testing for those employees who do not have the vaccine. Now, this also requires employers to create a log, so to speak, of uh, all the employees in their business, whether they have uh, received the vaccine. And you can bet your bottom dollar that this will also apply to any required, quote, required boosters or even probably federally suggested booster shots. So I, I can almost assure everybody that once this door is open, uh, the, the requirement will go on and on and on. Uh, in other words, there's some cost here for the employers immediately uh, to ramp this up and get ready for it. And I think it's also helpful here to sort of look at OSHA and uh, and at least uh, assess the power basis for which they sought to implement this mandate. Uh, there is something out there, believe it or not, under OSHA called an ETS. An ETS stands for Emergency Temporary Standard. So under the Occupational Safety and Health Act, which established OSHA, of course, they built into it. Uh, the Emergency Temporary Standards Act that gives uh, OSHA the ability to act in an emergency. And in the fifth, the fifth district here did a good job of outlining uh, this ETS power and how uh, it is rarely, rarely ever been exercised, and even more rarely ever approved or, or ultimately survived judicial review. So, under the ETS standards, OSHA implements this vaccine mandate. Now, initially, let's go back to the beginning. The litigants said, wait a minute, this is going to be unconstitutional court. We want you to stay it. We want you to postpone it until we get into court and really, uh, and then ask for a preliminary injunction, uh, which they did. The court asked for briefing, asked for arguments. Uh, The litigants showed up and they had briefing and arguments. They considered the factors that we just went through and the court ultimately in the decision decided that it was going to grant a preliminary injunction. And by the way, you can look up the opinion yourself. Uh, it, it's there, There's a ton of different plaintiffs. The lead plaintiff is BST Holdings LLC versus OSHA. That's in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. But the, ultimately, the Fifth Circuit decides that they are going to issue a preliminary injunction. And here's how they, I'm going to quickly go through and simplify how they applied the factors. The first was whether uh, the applicants made a strong showing that they were going to succeed on the merits. The court looked at basically two things. The court first considered Uh, the constitutionality of the mandate itself. In other words, is it constitutional? Uh, I'm not going to go into into the weeds here, but the court quickly glossed over this and said, look, we're not going to get to this uh, ultimately, but we do have real questions as as to whether this meets the constitutional authority grant to OSHA. Uh, And and really what they were saying is there is a delegation issue here. The the legislative branch has uh, the the sole responsibility to pass laws, and um, they're not allowed to delegate that to anyone else, even an administrative agency, and this may exceed that that grant. Uh, and then secondly, under its constitutional assessment, the court uh, quoted the Commerce Clause, that is, uh, uh, the Congress has the, the ability to delegate authority to regulate interstate com- commerce, and uh, here it was questionable whether this actually met 
uh, the Commerce Clause. Again, they, the court didn't go into much detail, neither will I, because the court basically said, even if we assume, let's just act like, for the sake of argument, without actually concluding it, but let's just act like it is constitutional, like it doesn't violate the constitutional delegation issue or the Commerce Clause. The court basically said the thing failed on its own merits, on its own terms. It doesn't even make sense within what it is trying to do. The court looked at uh, three basic things. It said, first, the, the mandate makes no distinction without any reason at all uh, between different types of employers. In other words, it says that you could have people working shoulder to shoulder in, um, in a vacuum, so to speak, or you could have, it applies to people working outside with 100 uh, or more employees. And, and, and clearly, that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, anybody with common sense would say one is different than the other. Why is the mandate applying across the board? Similarly, the court said there's no justification for 100 plus employees or 100 minus employees. In other words, why is it, why does it 99 it is different than 100. Why? What's the rational justification for that? And the court said that just is sort of a lunacy. It doesn't make any sense. And then the purported emergency was, this is my word, disingenuous, but the court was basically saying this. The court noted here two basic timelines. First, that it's been about two years since the pandemic uh, emerged. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard to say that this emergency lasts forever. It's got some great language I'll quote in a second. But the second timeline is Biden's uh, announcement. And of course, actually in footnotes is, is quoting President Biden on some of this stuff. And his announcement that he was going to do this uh, was over two months ago. And, and like, how is this possibly an emergency when he declares the emergency two months ago, doesn't promulgate any regulations uh, out of OSHA until two months later. And the court is saying this is hardly imminent then. It can't be an emergency and nothing changed two months uh, ago till today. And, and maybe, I guess, uh, to add my uh, opinion in it, uh, things may have even gotten better. There might be less of an emergency. Now, here the court noted uh, the actual terms of what is required for an ETS. And uh, basically what that means is employees are exposed to grave danger from exposure to substances or agents determined to be toxic or physically harmful or from new hazards and B, that such emergency standard is necessary to protect employees from the damage. And, and the court was, was, uh, was skeptical of both. Um, first, they couldn't find any precedent, and, and this, the government apparently didn't point to any precedent, that uh, showed that this was um, uh, that there were toxic or physically harmful uh, new hazards. Uh, and they, they went through some analysis here, but Basically, it didn't make any sense to the court because this wasn't new. Uh, it didn't impact everybody the same. Uh, it, it, it actually went into some stats like it, even the government is saying it could cause no harm or it could cause uh, even death depending on uh, the individual. In other words, there is no broad swath brush that you can use to, uh, to paint this over everybody that makes rational sense. Um, and then it, ne it next went into uh, the second consideration there of the ETS, that the emergency standard is necessary to protect employees from such danger. And again, uh, it, it's not so clear that a vaccine mandate is going to protect employees from such danger. And you have to understand here is that this has to apply to everybody. So even if you might say that getting vaccinated in one employee or uh, uh, employment environment might be uh, necessary, but you can't say that with every employee or employment environment. And so again, the outside versus inside, the close quarters versus not so close quarters, uh, maybe individual offices versus people who work from home. It doesn't make any sense. And the OSHA regulation here uh, did nothing to delineate any of those scenarios. So the court quickly said this even would fail, we think, 
ultimately on its own merits. It doesn't even do what it's supposed to do as an ETS. Now, I promised a couple quotes on this first factor, and I'm going I'm to give them to you. Uh, out of the Fifth District, it says, it was not and likely could not be under the Commerce Clause and non-delegation doctrine intended to authorize a workplace safety administration in the deep recesses of the federal bureaucracy to make sweeping pronouncements on matters of public health affecting every member of society in the profoundest of ways. And it was citing some case law to support that. Uh, I like it when uh, when courts dig into the uh, the precedent and come up with uh, great verbiage like that. And I like it even more when they come up with great verbiage like that of their own. Uh, and here they did just that. See, one of the standards that uh, they had to meet is that this was a this was based on an extraordinary power that is to be delicately exercised only in, quote, limited situations. Now, finding that uh, none of those things existed, the court said, and I quote, quite the opposite, rather than a delicately handled scalpel. The mandate is a one-size-fits-all sledgehammer that makes hardly any attempt to account for differences in workplaces and workers that have more than a little bearing on workers' varying degrees of susceptibility to the supposedly grave danger the mandate purports to address. In other words, the court just said, this is a bunch of nonsense. It's a way overbroad attempt to uh, grab way too much authority for the executive branch under the uh, guise of an OSHA regulation. So based on this reasoning on the first factor, the court concluded that the challenges to the mandate showed a great likelihood of success on the merits and uh, thus weighed heavily in favor of the stay that was requested while all this gets sorted out. The court then turned to the next factor, which is uh, what is the injury that's going to be caused? Is it irreparable uh, if they don't postpone this, if they don't stay it? Are uh, employers or the litigants here uh, going to be exposed to irreparable harm? The court quickly surmised that uh, irreparable harm would result if they didn't postpone this. Uh, it first focused on uh, the burden to the actual liberty interests of the individual recipients of the mandate. And here the court comes up with uh, some more great verbiage. Uh, for one, it says, the mandate threatens to substantially burden the liberty interest of the reluctant individual recipients put to a choice between their jobs or their jabs. For individual petitioners, the loss of constitutional freedoms for even minimal periods of time unquestionably constitutes irreparable injury. Uh, turning next to the economic consideration, the court quickly determines that not only were there uh, compliance costs, uh, there was also the threat of losing employees, uh, and then even more so, uh, if they if employ if employers didn't comply, they were going to be subjected to very steep financial fines and penalties. So obviously, there was going to be irreparable uh, financial harm as well. And then one final point on the uh, irreparable harm: it wasn't just employers that were uh, that were challenging this. There were also some states joining in the action too. And this is this is an important point that the court is making here. And it has to do with something called state police power. See, the federal government doesn't have the power to, quote, police individual states. And don't think like uh, police with badges and guns and uniforms. Uh, think like uh, dealing with your everyday state affairs. Those are state matters, not federal matters. The federal government, in theory, doesn't have the enumerated power in the Constitution to tell the states how to handle their local affairs. And this is a huge debate these days on uh, the constitutionality of the administrative state, of the executive power, and uh, the ongoing ever- uh, present power grab coming out of the federal government. Here's what the court had to say about that. Uh, the states, too, have an interest in seeing their constitutionally reserved police power over public health policy defended from federal overreach. Now, this is important because, remember, this is coming under the context of irreparable harm. And what the court is saying is we see a bigger problem here. We see a problem with the federal grab of authority and overreach by federal power 
that is uh, impinging on the enumerated authority or, or rather the implicit authority of the states to have their own police power. And uh, this is a bigger picture that, uh, that hopefully becomes a trend. I, I, I believe firmly uh, in, a, in, in local government in our country. I think it's what makes it work. Remember, this isn't just a legal breakdown. You also get my humble opinions uh, as well. Uh, turning to the next or the third factor, uh, the question here is whether the stay will substantially injure the other party interested in the proceeding. That would be here OSHA or the federal government. And maybe the best assessment of this is just uh, to read what the court says. In contrast, a stay will do OSHA no harm whatsoever. Any interest it may claim in enforcing an unlawful and likely unconstitutional ETS is illegitimate. Moreover, any abstract harm a state might cause the agency pales in comparison and importance to the harms the absence of a state threatens to cause countless individuals and companies. In other words, they don't really care uh, what's going to happen to uh, OSHA here. Uh, they're, they're, they're saying it's so significant what they're trying to do and the, the harm that is potentially caused to the litigants is so significant that they don't even care about uh, any possible harm that OSHA might face as a result of a stay while they're uh, deciding the constitutionality and legality of the regulation. And then finally, the court turns to the last consideration, which is, what is the public interest here? What does the public care about this? Again, what can I say beyond this great quote? From economic uncertainty to workplace strife, the mere specter of the mandate has contributed to untold economic upheaval in recent months. Of course, the principles at stake when it comes to the mandate are not reducible to dollars and cents. The public interest is also served by maintaining our constitutional structure and maintaining the liberty of individuals to make intensely personal decisions according to their own convictions, even or perhaps particularly when those decisions frustrate government officials. Man, what a great quote. So then it's like, even if our individual decisions frustrate government officials, they're saying, no, 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 particularly because they frustrate government officials, that makes them more legitimate. Man, what a great quote. So I guess ultimately the court here uh, concludes that all the factors supporting a stay or injunct temporary injunction existed, and uh, they, they issued an order that said OSHA can't enforce it, at least not against these litigants. And now I think you're going to start seeing dominoes fall. I think there was action filed in the Sixth Circuit, probably lots of other circuits that's similar. And I would guess that most circuits will fall in step with uh, the Fifth Circuit in what it did here. Now, ultimately, this is going to go up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they're going to make a final decision on it. And I want to spend a couple seconds uh, uh, talking about how that could go. See, in law school, you see these big cases. Uh, we call them seminal cases, cases that uh, forever change how things are done in our country. And there's a few of them we all know. We all know Roe versus Wade. We all know Brown versus Board of Education. And like them or hate them, they are seminal cases that uh, altered forever the state of constitutional law in our country. And this has the possibility to be one of those. Uh, the court could take on a broader issue here of the ultimate authority and power of administrative uh, agencies. So OSHA is an administrative agency. If you go pull out your pocket constitution and look for administrative agency, you won't find it. It is a construct added. I think it goes all the way back to Woodrow Wilson, who sort of thought, uh, you know, this arcane constitutional structure, we don't need that anymore. Uh, I'm smarter and all that. Uh, we can govern uh, on our own. Uh, we don't need this limitations. We're not going to abuse this power. And then along comes FDR, and he does just that. He uh, imposes the 
the New Deal, and uh, they basically drive a truck through the administrative form of government. And now I think it's sort of reaching its apex under the Biden administration. Uh, and it's it's not just uh, the Dems. It's a lot of times the Republicans just taking advantage of of this phantom administrative executive authority. Um, so it, there's a possibility here that the U.S. Supreme Court could take this on. It could take on uh, the power of the executive branch under the administrative uh, form of government and, and put it and cut a huge chunk out of that power basis. Uh, or it could just be a case that in a hundred years, people look back on and say, well, that was one of those COVID pandemic cases. Uh, there's a few of them. So it's just this batch of litigation that, that arose out of that. Uh, who knows? I, I sort of secretly hope, not even secretly anymore, because I'm saying it out loud here, but I sort of hope that the court takes it on uh, in, in a broader brush. I, I, I really I really disdain the notion that few elites on any side of the political equation have the capability to tell uh, we mortals what to do, how to live, and uh, what we should be doing for our own safety. And and I've quoted this lots and lots and lots of times before, but it's worthy of quoting again here, and it's a C.S. Lewis quote on uh, on authoritarian and tyrannies. And he says, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victim may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. In other words, when these people take control, they are telling themselves, as well as telling us, that we're going to take control of you for your own good, and it is the right thing to do, and I firmly believe that in my soul. So listen to what I say and do what I tell you, for only I know how to keep you safe. The problem with that, as moral as it may sound to the beholder, uh, it leads to tyranny because there is no stop to it. Once you get that power rush, you can always justify more under the guise of keeping people safe. All right. Well, this was maybe a little longer than usual breakdown, but I think it was, uh, I at least enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Uh, tune in regularly for the legal breakdown. You can also tune in regularly on the Lawyer Talk Q&A series. And then of course we do our Wednesday Blitz session uh, and then our longer uh, format discussions with uh, with Norm, uh, with Brett from Circle 270 Media. Uh, Jared is on the mend. Hope to have him back soon. So uh, the whole crew is coming back to Channel 511. As always, if you want to uh, submit your questions, just go to LawyerTalkPodcast.com and uh, submit your question there. If you want legal advice, legal help, or uh, any other questions answered, uh, you can submit them. You can go right to LawyerTalkPodcast.com, but you can also go to my uh, law firm website, OhioLegalDefense.com. Certainly not perfect, but I try to answer everybody's questions either on the air or directly uh, uh, by email or phone call if they call upstairs. So with that, I'll wrap it up as I always do. Lawyer talk off the record, on the air, breaking it down, keeping it simple until now.